Nihilism and perfectionism are both manifestations of self-hate. We become a perfectionist because we've rejected ourselves, that we're not enough. Mm -hmm. We've thrown ourselves away. So it all starts from that moment. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. I'm Tom Rutledge, and with me is uh, Patrick Newman, our producer, and Dr. Alan Berger. And um, it's interesting, we were... we we began our show accidentally uh, prematurely we were we were we were so excited about our, co- our our topic today we started talking about it and so I, so we're let's start over i don't like doing that let's let's do that again well that wasn't very perfect it was really bad <laughs> it was horrible i feel bad i feel oh, real bad okay no you were doing good but let's let's start again okay okay, uh, okay. three three two one go welcome to emotional sobriety i'm tom rutledge and with me is our producer uh uh <laughs> Johnny B. Good and Patrick Newman. Johnny B. Good. And, 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 and Dr. Allen, somebody. It's like, it's, it's like. <laughs> this is early Alzheimer's disease for. No, it's so funny. I, I, this, it, we, we can start over in a minute if you want to, but I, what I would say is just let me just tell that story. I, I did the intro. It was fine, I think, and then I didn't like it, and I said, "Stop, let's do it." And our st- our topic today, among other things, is perfectionism. So Alan Alan confronted me on that and said, "You know, well, that wasn't a perfect thing at all." And then <laughs> so so then when we came back in I to do it joking. again, I just messed I it up entirely. I was I wanted to go off of that and just do a spoof on it and say, yes. "My God." I well, just, can I can I tell a story about perfectionism real quick? Yeah, yes, ahead. you can. Okay, oh, this, is, this, re- this is, re- we're in the show. Where the, we're show, the show has started. This is All it. Right. <laughs> no, Tom. Uh, Alan actually gave me a do-over of one episode we did where I was talking about my four-year sobriety birthday, mm-hmm. and um, and I think like I did so much better the second time because I had made the conscious effort to remove myself from expectations about how uh, lucid I was going to be or how profound my stream of consciousness was going to be. And Mm -hmm. because that was, I think, what I did the first time around, I felt, you know, it came off as constrained. I think that the second time around, I was a lot looser. And I think it ties right into what we're talking about, which is (laughs) as as soon as we kind of place that anvil over ourselves of expectation, Mm -hmm. things tend to take a nosedive. You know, it's the present. I love that because the other thing about that is because see, I, you know, I, you know, cause, and this is just shows you how subjective the whole thing is. It's like, so in, in that particular case, feeling like you need to do it again is not, you know, we, somebody we could easily say, okay, well, you're being a perfectionist, just let it go. But it's like, the truth is, you look back and with hindsight, you're looking at this and going like, now this really helped me to let go. Of, of those those un, unrealistic expectations I had of myself so that you relax and, and do it and you did it again it's like that's I love that story 
No, Ellen was, never gave me a chance to do anything again. It's like, <laughs> well, well, listen, it, it, it really was obvious to me yeah, that when, when I try too hard, I never do as well. I mean, that's, it's that's so it. clear. I mean, I, I can just see that if I'm playing tennis and I'm trying to, if I really want to hit a hard serve, I think I got to try harder. And then what happens is I, I hit a terrible serve. And, mm-hmm. and if I want to hit a good serve, I have to stay really relaxed. Mm-hmm. And she, you know that for you get the spaghetti arm, they call it, right? Yeah. Yeah. When I get tense, man, my, that arm is not spaghetti. It's like yeah. rigid. Right. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting how, how it will, we'll, we'll bring this into focus here in a minute, but this may be a little scattered with our, our stories. My story that I'll tell as we start our, our program today is, is about what I've learned, something I've learned from Brian Lutz, who, you know, works with us at the, the, the the Thursday night group and who's been on the show before it's like he he and his uh, fiance floor have, have been have uh and I think I think it's out now or it's going to be out soon they were they 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 did an episode with um Caesar uh what's what's Caesar's last name Caesar Milan Caesar Milan oh, the, the, dog dog the dog trainer yeah and it's like like um my favorite, my favorite thing with Caesar Milan is when he trained Cartman on uh, on uh, 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 South <laughs> yeah. Park. If you haven't seen that one, you got to see it. But anyway, but but so anyway, I was curious about that being you know that I'm horrible at, at getting my dogs to do anything I want them to do. It's it's like and but I so I watched some of Caesar on on uh, YouTube um, so, and and I and I and I asked Brian when I was talking to him. I said, look, I just I just decided at one time just to kind of tune out whatever he was actually saying content wise and just watch him and see what he was doing and i said and what i noticed that he was doing or what he was in sometimes referring to but mostly what he was physically doing is he was always exactly what you said alan he was always relaxing when he was trying to get one of those animals to do something what he wanted to do and it's like and it just it just jumped at me that every time i'm in a power struggle i mean yeah, hell you you i would start saying this metaphorically but you know this literally with if you're in a power struggle with a two-year-old you're going to lose you know it's it's like but Every time I try to get, you know, if I want to get Lucas out of my face and not lick my face or want to do this, it's like I'm tense, you know, and, and I began to watch Caesar. And, and every time he was so and whenever people were doing following what he did, he would do stuff like he would have a gentle touch in, the, in their back or he would his voice would be soft. He was always relaxing people. And it's like, I love the fact that this comes back to our intrapersonal process too. We, we need, you know, we tense up because these expectations come in and, and all of a sudden without even well into our recovery, we think, you know, we do consciously know this stuff, but when we're not paying attention, we, you know, we, we regress, we go back to that place where it's like, I'm yes, sir. I'll try to do a really great job and be profound. You know, Patrick says to, to his perfectionist. And it's like, it's like, you know, that's that's not the point the point is being real yeah well yeah it's very difficult to chill out sometimes i mean especially Mm -hmm. uh, you know as a recovering addict with that dynamic of just being a little uncomfortable all the time i I think you know i really look at people like cesar milian as like uh samurai (laughs) how they're able to deal with like these 20 dogs yipping and uh be the calm at the center of the storm you know absolutely it's like it's just and i and by, by the way this is and maybe maybe this is something we could make make, make a note uh, uh producer uh we could it's how to use how to use other people that we know for as role models 
You know, I, I had somebody and I can't remember who said it, but somebody when I was going through therapy early on and doing a lot of inner child work, someone said, said, you know, we can get parenting from lots of different people and never make one, any one of them our parent. Because, you know, we, tend, we have a tendency sometimes to project that need when we get into our, our, our work and we need somebody to be that, that parental person. And, but the truth is we're really learning in recovery how to be our own parent. And so, so the, but the idea that I could collect parenting from, from uh, you know, watching other people that could do things that, that I wanted to be able to do that were better, they, they handled situations better than I do. You know, and and that wasn't just beating me myself up, just realizing that I love that. So I think the idea of using using people as role models and look, being able to observe things that we how we can take take lessons from people, even if we're not in a conversation with them about how to do it, we we, we can actually kind of become opportunists about how to um, how to get better at things that that other people are that we know are good at. That's my idea for a few, for a future show. Okay, good idea. Let, let, I was having, I was reflecting on this theme today since you sent out that email ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And said, Let's talk about perfectionism, which, you know, we've had a couple shows on it before. And even at the beginning, Patrick was saying, well, what is going to distinguish us from other shows? And, mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's kind of put it in a context that it'll we be perfect before. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's, that was the first thing we were. Well, we've blown that one. <laughs> this, show, this show would be perfect. The other ones were no, but 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 we were talking about you know how to how to think about this and put it in a context that maybe adds to the dialogue that we've already had. Yes. And you know, first of all, the the reflection I had on it and that I've been having on it lately is this, you know, what you know, you guys have heard me talk about that that at a certain point in our development, we come up the conclusion that who I am is not good enough to be loved and to be accepted. Now, it, you know, I'm sure we all come to that conclusion in different ways. Some of us through trauma, some of us just through societal expectations. And, you know, there's a lot of different factors involved. And we're not going to try to unpack those today. But we do know that at some point, each of us hit. And look, I've never met someone who hasn't yet. We hit that moment where whether consciously or unconsciously, we've decided that we've got to be someone other than who we are to be okay. Yep. You know, and Fritz Perls is, 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 is noted for saying, and he's not the only one that said this, you know, an elephant doesn't imagine itself being a rose bush. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. or a dog doesn't want to be a cat. It's just mm-hmm. a dog. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's okay with being the dog or the cat's okay with being the cat. But we're the only species on this planet that wants to be something other than we are. Mm-hmm. So here's our dilemma. Well, what do we want to be? What would be the solution in our minds? And of course, we're going to come up with something that we think is better than who we are. Right. Right. We're not going to come up with, well, I'll be a worse version of myself and then nobody will love me. Now, we get mm-hmm. some people get to that. 
because you know we'll talk about how nihilism and perfectionism are kissing cousins. Absolutely, you know, that's that's what I was going to say. Is is getting? You know, we, we we've talked about that before too. The, the getting to that place of of total total give up. Not not you know not not what we talk about in the program of surrender, but but no, giving up. Then then we basically we're in an advanced state of perfectionism. That's right. I mean, and we'll we'll talk about that and clarify that in a little bit, but. Of course, what we're going to imagine is an idealized version of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And see, that was the great contribution that Dr. Karen Horn I made to psychology, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. She said it was this idealized version of self that was our solution to this problem that we had that who I am is not enough. Who must I be to be okay? And so we idealize a version. And of course, that idealized version is going to be quite like the perfect ideal, right? We're not going to come up with something half-assed because we don't do anything half-assed. You know, it's we're just wired to go for the gusto, right? To go for the bad. So we come up with this idealized version. Now, the problem is, is that idealized version is idealized, <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. It's an idea of who we should be. It's not the reality of who we are. And because it's idealized, it's so absolute. And this becomes the problem is that now when we're trying to live with it, as you've, you know, I've talked about, Tom, is that self hate is spawned by this whole operation. Absolutely. Right. It is spawned by this idea that if I can be this, I will be okay. And if I'm not that, the only way I'm going to put myself in line is by becoming this this person who beats me into perfection by hating myself. If I hate myself enough, I'll become what I should be. Spare right. the rods. Spoil well, the- and, and, and yeah, and, and and actually, that's where that's where you know that's where the, the you know the, the paradox of this, the turnaround, the twist in the story, is that 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 that, that voice of, of perfectionism. And I and I like the fact that you we you know I think because I think we really can interchange uh, self hate. I think perfectionism is sort of a pretty way, a socially acceptable way of saying self hate, uh, because I've never I've I, you know, and I'm not saying you know, everybody's unique. I you know. We'll change. We'll change as we as we meet each new client. But it's like I don't think I can think of an example of somebody who who is true truly dealing with perfectionism in the, the painful sense that that is not a self hating person. And of course, the twist is that the idealized self that you're describing is by definition because it is idealized and meaning that that it is it does not allow for fluctuation of 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 different levels of competence according to many variables in our lives it is humanly impossible so so it is by definition it's not not humanly impossible to do one thing or something perfectly i get that part that's the, but that's not what people that's what that's not what perfectionism asks of us it asks of that exactly what you said the idealized self constantly and so so Actually, the pursuit of that becomes the, the, the real source of the pain. You know, it's 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 like the guy who, you know, and it's and it's I mean, it really is sort of like a good, good movie thing where you go like the guy who's in there claiming that he's there to help you. He's the bad guy. It's an impossibility. And, and, and see that. And, and yet 
at some point in time, we don't even realize that we've done this to ourselves, right? We right. Oh, absolutely. It is the, this is the way that, that, that life is. This is the way I am. This is the way I am supposed to be. This is what she, and I love this phrase. She says, we believe that this is the path to glory. Isn't that a great phrase? I mean, yep. she goes, she re, that this is where we're going to sing hallelujah. I mean, this wow. is our path to glory. I'm going to, I'm going to become perfect. And now the world is going to open up. Everything is going to work for me, which means everything's going to go my way. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to throw in there was that uh, some people do successfully beat the world into a, into submission, right? As I, I don't think they're successful at it, Patrick. We'll get into that, but I want to hear what you mean by that. But tell what do you mean by it? Let me ask you that before I tell you no. Well, I guess I, I guess like uh, every uh, <laughs> every aspirational um, perfectionist or everybody who's uh, committed to this idea that if I'm hard enough on myself, that uh, if I'm self-hating enough, that I can better myself, they'll cling to these examples like you know your your Michael Jordans, your um, Michael Jacksons. Oh, Maybe he's a bad Michael example. Jordan for, <laughs> Michael Jordan would not say that what he is does things perfectly what he will tell you is that i am not afraid to fail that's why i'm as good as i am it's not about doing things perfectly it's about his willingness to go ahead and put himself in the situation you know what did he say there's this poster that's a great poster i don't i can't quote the specific stats but it goes i've been in a position to take the final shot in the game and to win a game let's say a thousand times mm -hmm. 475 times I missed. That's why I'm as good as I am. Mm -hmm. See, yeah. he doesn't look like he's got to do it perfect. He's just willing to take the risk. Well, let me let me also say this. See, because this, this is the thing where where each each one of us is somebody that some other body, somebody else's perfectionism will look to us and say, oh, well, Patrick's this way. Alan's this way. This way. You did it last last week. In our thing, just a little in a little way, you said, well, I, you know, I assume you, you, you made that comment about, uh, you know, I assume you guys is about feeling purposeful and staying connected, you know, that you feel like you're doing a, a good job in your life. It's like, I guess you guys don't have to worry about that at this point. Da, da, da. And, you, and you noticed that you said both of us were were taken back by that just you know, visually. It's like because. You know, we're, when we look at some, we, we can always point to these other people. You know, I tell say that to clients all the time. I say, you know, there are people that, that may be pointing to you saying, I wish I had it together like you. And, you know, we may walk out into the waiting room and that may be my next client, you know, who's aspiring to be like you. It's like it's. It, it, now, now, some can some of those people be perfectionists? I, yeah, I, but from what what I've read and seen with Michael Jordan, I don't think I don't think he would fit into the definition of of what we're talking about psychological perfectionism. It's it's like like, um, but but maybe even if they are, but here's what you're here's here's the, the the thing: you can find somebody who has succeeded tremendously, and if you ask them, you know, do they have no longer have pain with their perfectionism? They'll tell you no. It's like I mean, I mean. I, I mean, I, I, like I said, we, I, I'm sitting here going like, I, I get it that I have nothing to complain about in my life. I mean, my God, what, what a life I've had and what, and what success I've had with what I'm doing and stuff like that. But does that mean that I don't have that perfectionist talking to me and telling me what I didn't do right and why I fucked this up and, and, and all of this, all the things, you know, focusing on all the things I have not done, you know, it's like, 
Nope. It's it can if I'm not if I'm not careful with my recovery, and that's you know, and this is one of the points I want to make about emotional sobriety. With this, it's like there there is no. And Alan, you you tell me if you if you disagree with this. I don't think you will. There is no such thing as as emotional sobriety or being being solid in the, the of our emotional sobriety without having dealt directly with our perfectionism in whatever form it comes. I agree with that. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's very true. It's not, it, because it's about achieving and perfectionism, all this other stuff. I think a lot of times people think, well, I want to hold on to that because that's because they think, oh, well, that's what drives me. That's what makes me that, that's what makes me potentially great. And it's like what I'm saying, like, no, a self hate, you know, it, 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 that's like having somebody who motivates you by by with a cattle prod and, and, and big boots to kick you in the ass. It's like you will be motivated. I was motivated by my should monster for years and years and years, but I was also beat to hell yeah, and felt like shit about myself. So, you know, I yeah, was, let me say it this way, Patrick. See, I think what you might be doing here is confusing self-confidence with perfectionism. See a lot of very successful athletes, business people, they have a lot of self-confidence. We could even say they have some solid self-esteem because self-confidence is a part of self-esteem. But that confidence doesn't come from doing things perfect. That confidence comes from that they learn from their experience. And they have a lot of confidence, like Jordan was telling us when he said that thing that's on the poster, is that he is able to take that information in and now become better at what he's doing. Not perfect, just better at what he's doing. So self-confidence is very important to success. We're going to get into that in a minute and tie this together. But but let's go back for a minute. What I was saying before, right, is about that 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 we you know come up with this idea of who we have to be. Now, let's say you grew up in a family where there was nothing but high expectations for yourself or for you. Let's say you had you you were growing up, Patrick, and your dad expected you to do everything perfectly, right? From an early age, what we call age inappropriate expectations. You know, now what's going to happen to you? Well, at first you're going to try to live up to what your dad wants you to do. You want to please him, you want to do it. But as he got angrier and angrier with you, and much more, you know, let's say verbally abusive and started putting you down and started calling you a dummy, you start to internalize that. So at one point in time, you might say, I'll never do it. I'll never be able to be what I should be to be acceptable and to be loved. And what do you do then? At that point in time, you throw the towel in. At that point in time, you resign yourself. And Tom and I were talking about that's the nihilism. Nihilism and perfectionism are both manifestations of self-hate. We become a perfectionist because we've rejected ourselves, that we're not enough. Mm -hmm. We've thrown ourselves away. So it all starts from that moment. Now, do we get help in throwing ourselves away? Of course we do. In the example I gave you, Dr. Nathaniel Brandon used to say, self-esteem is a funny thing. You have to have a parent that has some expectation that you're going to be able to do things well but their expectations can't be too high, <laughs> mm -hmm. but they have to have them for you. They have mm -hmm. to say, yeah, you can do it. You can do it, but they can't be ridiculous expectations that make you feel like a failure all the time. Right. So there's this weird balancing act that's going on, right? 
You see that, 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 you know, what we're talking about self, you know, emotional sobriety is right in the middle. It's balancing the nihilism and the perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And we're Mm -hmm. right in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're, if we fall out of balance this way, I'll never be able to be okay. If we fall out, I'll always be okay. We come back to the middle. And that's Mm -hmm. what Bill was talking about. It's balance. Right. The impossibility of being a human is that we're, we can be on the one hand, so resilient. And then on the other hand, so completely fragile. (laughs) It's. Well, that now you're talking. Say that again. Say that again. Say that again, Patrick. That was beautiful. That was just resilient and also fragile. Like there's so much to manage in terms of like being a functioning human. Uh, Yeah. If we're sitting in a room full of people, if if everybody listening to this or everybody ever going to listen to this is sitting in a room full and, and and somebody says, how many of you can identify with what Patrick just said? I I think every hand goes up, you know, and 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 the ones who don't go up just haven't figured out that this is the this is the case for them yet. It's like it's it's like because I think that's yeah that's part that's a big part of it, and it's like yeah and the other thing is the the balance part. You know, it brings me back to something that, that I haven't talked about in a long time, but but uh, it's such a key part is that I think of it as like the two the two. Uh, areas of self-esteem doing and being it's like you know because that's that because so often high expectations are fine as long as the as long as the response you know from parents and 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 other people around us uh, when we don't meet those expectations is is positive is good it's like okay well you know lesson learned how would you learn from that you know how did you you know would you get from it's okay don't want because that's and that's where you have that solid foundation of of beingness self-esteem too so that's another part of that because part a big part of what we find most of us will find some degree of that is when we get into therapy with this stuff is that we are way way over invested in our doingness self-esteem thinking that hoping without thinking about what in these terms but hoping that it can compensate for a lack of being that self-esteem that i'm good i'm the solution right that's part of that solution tom i'm not okay the way i am Mm -hmm. so i've got to do this achieve that etc etc in order to be loved i gotta look this way i've gotta you know be this successful i've gotta own these things I mean, that's the doing part that gets so seductive in our culture, specifically, is, is this is what well, it, it is so dependent on other people's expectations. It's not that I need to do that. It's it's what I need Alan to I, I need to I need Alan to see see me as having done that. It's I, like in my experience with with that kind of thinking, when I look back at it with with true, true honesty, it's it's far. My opinion is far less important. If I'm trying to if I'm doing something to impress you, then yeah. then, then then you know it's it's like when I first first time we ever did a workshop. You know, I told the story before, but I tell the brief version of the first time we ever did a workshop on purpose. We did our accidental one, which was wonderful, but but. You know, I had a full blown panic attack in in Los Angeles in uh, my hotel room the night before because I thought I can't do this. And it's like if I if I look at that, it's like I wasn't and I wasn't thinking of it in terms of you've given me no information or no indication that you had any particular expectation that we were going to do what we do. But in my mind, in my story, in my mind, if I look at it and sort it out the way I couldn't have that night, but is is no, it was not about how I was going to perceive myself the next day. It was how you were going to perceive me. 
Yeah. You know, and, and it's like, it's like that's, and that's where the panic attack comes from. It's like, I need another person or other people to approve of me, to see me in this, this particular way. And, and the idea is, you know, I'm way low on, on that doing this self-esteem at that. I mean, that being the self-esteem at that point of understanding I'm fine. I'm good. You know, whatever happens. That's right. Well, that's right on. And see, it's so funny because Eric Fromm, who's I'm a big fan of him and his writings. He calls it. Uh, he says that in our culture, I am more the more I have. So for mm-hmm. him, it's it's we're all part of what he would call the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And our value is based on what we've achieved. And our value doesn't mean our value to ourselves. It's like you said, Tom, our value to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Are they going to want to buy me off the shelf? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are they going to want to pick me? You know, how, how do I get myself to be picked? How do I get mm-hmm. myself to be the one? You know, it's those kinds of things. And he very much goes into that. But, you know, look, mm-hmm. what you were saying, Patrick, before, see, some people, a lot of philosophers have talked about us, is man is in this weird position of being part animal and part God. Mm-hmm. And that we're somehow that we're in that existence between, right? Is that we're not an animal because we have this consciousness that we have this idea to imagine things, to, to reflect on ourselves. We're the only creature that we know of that has that kind of ability, right? To, to see ourselves and when we look into the let's say into a mirror, right? A dog looks into a mirror, doesn't say, oh, hey, look at me, I'm a dog. They're gonna mm-hmm. bark at the mirror. They think mm-hmm. another dog's in the room. Mm-hmm. Patrick, if I ever walk into the room and you're barking at a mirror, I'm gonna worry about you, by the way. <laughs> I will or, worry. Or be very proud of me, you know, that I've regressed <laughs> to a more <laughs> manageable state. You have regressed state. to complete animal state. <laughs> yes, that you've let go of everything. But, but see, people say that that's our dilemma is how do we accept ourselves as we are and not expect ourselves to be God or or disown ourselves to be animal? But look, for some people, they want to be an animal, right? You've seen that. I want power over people. So they're going to use their brute strength or their intimidation to gain power. And they think that's the way that they're going to make life work. And, you know, we've seen that politically. We see that personally. I mean, those things play out. But, you know, what I'm excited to do today is to tie nihilism and perfectionism together Mm -hmm. because of our talk last week is they really are kissing cousins. And I like how you said, Tom, that they're both manifestations of self-hate, aren't they? I always take issue when I when I when I read something about nihilism that says that it it, it talks it, it puts these two things together, that that there's no intrinsic of meaning or value to life and it's like meaning and value are two different things to me it's like or in that particular thing the idea is is because there is no see i like the idea and whether you can put you can you can you can deal god into this or not i like the idea that that there is no answer in the back of the book because i think that's the way we've been taught to read like what's the what's the real answer you know the the idea is okay and that's the victor frankel stuff of of who's being asked about meaning it's like it's you who's being asked what the meaning of your life will be not you because people use that phrasing all the time i see this in therapy all the time is i don't know what i'm supposed to learn from this i don't know what i what i what i supposed to, to do i don't it's like 
what would happen if we weren't thinking about supposed to, but we were thinking in terms of it's my responsibility. And to me, we go back to the nihilism part. It's like even even a nihilist can take the position of because because I don't think there's any intrinsic anything that is objectively dealt into the human condition that has meaning, then that that makes it my job to come up with the meaning that I choose and take responsibility for that. Yeah, see, I, w- I was thinking about this is shifting the subject a little bit, but we were talking before about how perfectionism is really a delusion, right? Yeah, yeah. And I can be something I'm not, right? It's quite mm-hmm. delusional. And we were kind of laughing about it earlier when we said, mm-hmm. in some way, the person who's resigned has given up perfectionism is closer to the reality. But mm-hmm. it, it becomes a negative, but because but, of the, the, but the response to it is to, is to not is to not try at all. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's like yeah. they've taken it a little too far. Mm-hmm. It's like if you didn't go that far, you'd be OK. If you got in the middle and say, hey, I'm never going to pull this off. That's OK. But they go, I'm never going to pull it off. Why bother and even try? Right. Well, what we, that's a really good point, because what we're doing is and I don't know if this is too this isn't far off the mark. It's like Stephen Covey did this a long time ago with his business stuff, but the difference between perfection and, and excellence. It's like we should strive for excellence, not for perfection. He said it's like it's like but the idea is it's like. We can we can do any one thing perfectly. I ever even as a somebody who who can be really mean to myself and still in in my recovered state even today is every now and then as a writer you do this Alan every now and then you write you write a sentence and you go like that's a fucking perfect sentence I'm so <laughs> I'm so proud that came out of me it's like it's like but you know the the deal is if the recovery part of that for me the emotional recovery part is that I can enjoy my wonderful sentence. And not and and it doesn't it doesn't mean the next sentence has to be as perfect or more so. It's like it just says, okay, that's that was really nice. But the, so the idea here is is that the striving for perfection as human beings, as opposed to what I believe in, striving for learning. You know, those are two different expectations, and one of them one of them gives us this opportunity to to, to succeed immensely every single day because I, and I wrote a, I, I haven't typed it up yet, but I wrote a, a dialogue about, about this that I'm going to send to you guys about the idea of, of, of te- from a teacher and a student and about, about the idea of the concept of, of the more you fuck up, the more opportunities you have to learn, you know? And uh, uh, so, but if the goal really is learning instead of perfection, it's like, we're never going to run out of material. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Listen, I, I was just I was just looking this up and that, you know, you guys know I'm a big fan of Dr. Karen Horney. Mm-hmm. She goes, there are six modes of operation or expression of self-hate. Listen to what they are. OK, good. Listen to what they are. The first is relentless demands on self so that we just are constantly, constantly demanding more and more of ourselves. Right. Right. Merciless self-accusation. Wow. We give ourselves no quarter. Self-contempt. We don't like who we are. Self-frustrations. Nothing we do is ever good enough. Right? So those, those last two are doing and being, right? Being yeah, and doing. Right. right. Then she goes self-tormenting. That's number five. And the last one is self-destruction. So I'll read them again. 
Okay. And I, and I'm wanting, I love these and I'm trying, I'm looking at them, I'm writing them down and I'm trying to, to just be sure I distinguish each one from the next. That's good. That's Go right. ahead. Do it. There is some overlap. There's no question. There, no, but I think, but, but there's, I mean, no doubt, no doubt that she, she was very, very careful with her, with her oh, choice of language too, though. Relentless demands on self. Got it. Merciless. I love this word. Merciless self-accusation. Yep. Self-contempt self-frustrations, self-tormenting, and self-destruction. What are you reading from right now? This, this re reference, this is for me one of my favorite books of hers. It's called Neurosis and Human Growth. And you know, we don't use the word neurosis anymore. It, it, I do. <laughs> but I do, too. What I mean, we don't use it. It's no longer... I know. Find it in the in in the um, DSM three diagnostic and right right. <laughs> it wasn't DSM two, but we're at DSM five now. TR yeah. or something like that. Yeah, and, and they and they said in DSM whatever it was, the movement from two to three or three to four, they decided to go a theoretical. So they had to dump neurosis because neurosis was very much a psychoanalytic term. Mm -hmm. And so they had to move away from that into something like anxiety and things that are more less theoretical and more observational. But I, but I love uh, this is off, this is off the subject here, but it's like I love umbrella terms. I love I, and see neurosis is a beautiful un, umbrella term because because all of those other things, the depression and the anxiety and the all that stuff fit un, under that. And, I, and I've never been insulted by the fact that I feel that I am a neurotic. <laughs> That just seems like a, a, almost a synonym for a human being in the Western world. That's right. So, so listen, listen to this. So, so right. she goes, when in the previous chapter we discussed demands on self, we regarded them as a means of the neurotic individual to make himself into or to make himself over into his idealized self. That yeah. was a demand on self. I'm not good enough the way I am. I have to become this. We have also noted, however, that the inner dictates constitute a coercive system, a tyranny, and that people may respond with shock and panic when failing to fulfill them. Wow. She goes, we are now in a position to understand more fully what accounts for the coerciveness, what renders the attempts to comply with the dictates so frantic, and why the responses to failure are so profound. It's just brilliant. I mean, yes, I've not read that. I am going to soon. The shoulds are as much determined by self-hate as by pride. Yep. And interesting, the shoulds are as much determined by self-hate as they are by pride. And the furies of self-hate are unleashed when they are not fulfilled. Her language, her language describing this stuff is so it's is so yeah, it's just yeah. I don't even have the. the she word. goes. They can, she goes. They can be compared to a holdup in which a gunman points a revolver at a person, saying, "Either you give me all you have, or else I'll shoot you." Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, so so good, man. The gunman's holdup is likely to be more humane of the two. <laughs> This is so good. Well, being the victim, being the victim in that scene, I just went. Because it is possible for the threatened person to save himself by complying while the shoulds cannot be appeased. Right. No, I never it's, give the shoulds enough. She goes, no, I, I, no, I, 
gunman's the gunman gives you the choice that you could give something to satisfy the gunman, but you're never going to satisfy the shoulds. No, I just I just had a little waking dream in which Karen Hart and I held a gun on me and said said you know everything you own or your life, and and I, all I said was you're going to shoot me anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's the resignation <laughs> part. Go ahead and shoot me. But you see, I mean, why we tie this together is because we cannot go into a discussion of perfectionism or resignation without understanding the power of self-hate in this whole a- process. Absolutely. I mean, it is such a thing. While while that perfectionism was a solution, it all it also became, you know what created our hell for us well and, and what we let think. me yeah and let me connect that to something you and we were talking about at, our, at the workshop there are parts of ourselves that are legitimate aspects of our, our i believe our authentic personality that we integrate and work with and or, we were talking about in terms of that workshop is organizing but there are also some of these in our metaphor system is in the intrapersonal metaphor system there are some of these that are just they, they're not parts of our self we didn't come with them it's like it's like they're 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 programs we what you and i were calling what's programs and so this is one of the things is where we decide because uh, I, I'm just I'm dealing right now with a client who's who's in kind of an emergency attack from her from her uh, panic monster uh, and, and I've been uh, over this weekend I've been helping her with that and, and through some writing and um, it's we have to be able to distinguish is this somebody we need to be negotiating with because that's what she's doing she's negotiating with her panic monster and and it's like it's like no. This is these are these are parts the the, the shoulds that 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 are about self hatred. That comes from a place where no, that's a place where we're actually going to reject somebody. You know, not not a real somebody, but but in terms of the characters of our inner world, we're gonna we're gonna reject them outright. We do that with our alcoholism. You know, we do we basically say. We, we don't we don't even have to be mean to our alcoholism. We just say, I'm no longer going to do what you say. You know, tequila is a wonderful thing. And I say, I remember that. I do remember how it felt. I remember how much I enjoyed it. I also remember how much trouble it brought me. Da, 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 da. Not going to do that anymore. Although I never have don't have that longer conversation with it. It happens like that at this point. But the idea is we do, in fact, reject certain parts of ourselves. And that and, and what I'm what I'm the thing I wrote about for our book today was 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 about turning away from perfectionism and meaning that rather than try to, to negotiate with her, talk about it, it really is a fit. I, try, I was trying to describe a, a literal turning away and focusing on something else, some other message, because that's the only way away from it. You cannot you will never silence it. You'll never get it to say, oh, you made a good point. You know, it's amazing. We will try to convince our inner culprits, you know, our recovery self will try to talk them into recovery. Right. But they're not coming. Some of them aren't coming. I love that. Turn away. It's not a confrontation. You're not going to batter it into submission. You're going to kind of parse it cleanly. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because today when I have that dialogue with that part of me that wants to mm-hmm. drink or use, mm-hmm. which like you said, Tom, it just doesn't occur much more at this point mm-hmm. in my recovery. But when it does, it's it's often because something's out of balance in my life. I'm mm-hmm. off in some way. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, a solution, an old solution to a problem that I've had. And today I just recognize and say, hey, you know, you better pay attention. There's something off, man, that you got to address that you're not addressing. Yeah, yeah. And it's anxiety today. Anxiety to me is just a yeah. signal that, man. 
you know, you got you're you're in touch with something or something's coming up for you or you're not having faith in something. And I don't I don't throw these things away, Mm -hmm. but I also don't let them define me. Right. I was going through the big book with my sponsor the other day, and uh, uh, one of the many chapters came up about um, I couldn't do parties without drinking. Like I would be Mm -hmm. invited to parties and I would just need something in my hand. Well, maybe, you know, your consciousness is telling you that you don't like parties and parties suck and that's okay. (laughs) You know, it's uh, the signal that's being, you know, there's not some problem that you need to be at the party uh, and you need this drink to uh, be able to hack it, right? It's the disturbance that's being communicated. (laughs) I understand you're going to be doing a workshop on this with Brian here soon. Oh, yeah. This this Saturday, we're doing our third Zoomer. Uh, It's the intrapersonal improv, but we're, we're, uh, yeah, that's what got us started on talking to this this subject, because we, at the end of our last uh, uh, session of that, we said we need to do one specifically on facing perfectionism. So, so that's what we've got three hours on, on this coming Saturday. And we're going to, we're going to be facing, helping people face off their, their perfectionism. And, uh, and I thank you both because this has been a wonderful preparation for me in terms of thinking about, about what what kinds of things we may address in that. But if anybody listening, I hope we uh, did it perfectly today. I think we established by doing it just I did it twice just wrong and and then we and we decided what was which is the one do I want to go with I was you know now Patrick hadn't done the editing yet but I'm now you know you know where this is going right Tom you know where this is leading is that I'm just gonna have to leave them in but both of them yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. I love that. That's oh, that's perfect. You hear me? It's right. amazing how much that is a word. That is a word right. in our. They should just leave it all in, and then they can see the how crazy we are. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. I love that, and it's like, but I, but seriously, I'm just sitting here going like, this is how ingrained we are with that word, though. I, my immediate reflex response is perfect. I know. It's like you know, it's so like ingrained in our life, man. Yeah, but we use perfect to say that fits right. That's that. Yeah, it means it means beautiful. It means, I think I, we. I love it, that. Yeah. It's we we use it in it. There is there, and maybe we you know at some point maybe we'll go through all the different definitions of perfect because I think sometimes we use it in a way that can be useful. It, it doesn't mean that it's exactly perfect, but it means that it's so it fits like the moment or something. Right. Well, it's, it's and, and I, you know, I'm always, I'm a, I, you know, right. Yeah, right. I, I, you know, I'm an accidental psychotherapist. I'm an English major. That's right. I know. I love, I'm always, love you know, that's the thing I'm thinking is always define your terms because well, how often, how often do we work with couples who are fighting? And I mean, have you ever, I'm sure you have, you, you realize if these people would get their terms defined and they'd be using the same words for the same things, I don't think they disagree with each other that much, That's but right. they, but people will fight over words. I think this was a totally imp- perfectly imperfect episode. I'm glad. We'll see you next week. Next week will be the same regular time. Peace out. Tinge your life. Tinge your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then with glass in hand and children on one knee Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me It ain't a crime to be a human Never be ashamed to be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing 
Well, entertain me like nobody else So here's to us My old friends Until it's time to drink the wine And break the bread again With glass in hand and children on one knee Bring some stories Bring your stories Back to me Back to me 